All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm happy today. Let's go. Can you stand up with me? I know you're just getting settled, but here we are. All right. Um, welcome, everyone. My name is Tommy. I pastor this church. It's a joy to do so. Thanks for being here. I hope that you're already connecting with Jesus powerfully. Um, we're, we're not just singing a few uh, nursery rhyme songs this morning. We are engaging with the living God who is a fire in our belly. And so he's a God that is obsessed with your life. He's so in love with you. I just pray that you get consumed with the love of God this morning. He's our magnificent obsession. We do this every week because he is our magnificent obsession. He is so good. He is better than you ever could ask, dream, or imagine. He is the kindest person there ever was. He is Jesus. He is the perfect representation of the Father. And the heart of God loves you unconditionally. And so I pray that that love just cascades upon you this morning. It's powerful, huh? All right, we're going to read together from Luke chapter 2. We're in a series uh, for Christmas called God With Us, and I'm preaching today on hearing with your heart. So let's practice hearing with our heart as we read together out loud. We're all going to read. Ready? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, lift it up, let's go. Glory to God in the heavens. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Awesome, awesome. Let's go ahead and take a seat. Would you guys pray with me? Holy Spirit, would the brilliance of the Christmas message come alive today? We've heard it for years. Maybe, maybe some of us have never heard the gospel. Maybe, maybe some of us have heard it a thousand times or more, but we just pray for a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit to fill the power of the gospel in our lives, that our hearts and our eyes and our ears would be open to the more. There is so much more. 
There is so much more, and we want to enter into the more, God. And so as we open up the word, as we look and digest it, as we ponder it and treasure it, God, meet us here today. Take the words of this ordinary man, just like the ordinary shepherds. Take my words, God, and breathe upon it. May, may we all approach your, your throne and your word with the utmost humility in this moment, God. We lay down everything of pride, everything where we, we think we know it all and have it all figured out, and we just come open and hungry before you. And we want you, God, just to fill us up. Fill us up with your glory and your presence. We don't want to do this thing alone. We don't, want to, we don't want to read the word alone. We don't want to come to church alone. We have you in your presence. And so we connect to the power source. We are lightning rods of heaven. Come meet us, God, with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Luke is the author of the book of Luke, and he was a medical doctor. He, he was um, very specific in the gospel narrative that he wrote. You can imagine that if you are writing a letter and potentially he knew that this would be called Luke, maybe. But if I was writing a book inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'd be very, very intentional with the book of Thomas, might say. It's not apocrypha. I'm not trying to add to the word of God. Just thinking hypothetically, okay? But I'd be very intentional what I included. And Luke, being a good doctor, includes a lot of healings in his gospel account. But he also decides to be quite descriptive when he's writing about the birth of Christ. And he goes into the depth, in the narrative of, of who the first messengers were to hear the good news and to deliver the good news to people in the town. And God has chosen those messengers to be shepherds. There was a big reason why he wanted to teach us lessons from this account. I preached last week all about Mary, the mother of Jesus, her questioning, her doubt, and ultimately her leaning in to the inquisitive nature of what is happening, and it, it brought her into a place of great faith. But similarly to Mary, the angelic visitation that came to these shepherds out in the fields at night while they're watching their flock, they too were absolutely terrified. And when you look closely at how they handled this supernatural situation, we can find rich lessons for our lives when we are confronted with the true message of Christmas. And if we adopt the power of Christmas like these shepherds did, we too are going to be lit up. We are going to be prancing off into the towns, just like they were, amped and ready to share what we experience in God. So I want to start with hearing well. One of the main purposes of this text is to challenge us how to hear God well. We have to have our spiritual senses ready to hear and to respond to God's voice. And the text here gives us, one, it gives us a warning, and two, it gives us a challenging task. A warning and a challenging task. What's the warning? It raises this question within us. Can we be humble enough to receive a message from God when the quality of the messenger isn't what you might prefer? If we look at the narrative, the shepherds themselves were the, one, the ones most impacted by this supernatural encounter. They were trying to inform individuals in the town, and I'm sure they were ecstatic, out of their minds maybe, but we don't see necessarily too much information about how the town received it themselves. We, we hear that they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but we don't quite see a response within them like the shepherds did that, that had a power encounter with angelic visitation and were jolted with that power and could not help but tell everyone. 
Why is that? Why is that? Well, when we hear it directly from angels, that might help us a little bit, wouldn't it? If you had an angelic visitation and an encounter, you might want to tell someone about it. But the townspeople, they were just hearing from ordinary men. And not only that, but they were shepherds. Shepherds, the ordinary men. Some of the lowest on the rung of the social standing. Uneducated, stripped of any real social power or influence. There is actually some theological debate. There's some that go extreme and say shepherds weren't even able to testify in court. They were the lowest of the low. And others are like, no, they were just more ordinary blue-collar workers of the day. Wherever you decide in your theological study, the, the point is God loves a good ordinary man. And he chose them to be messengers of the gospel. He was strat uh, strategic in who he chose. When we hear a message, it's so easy to focus on the messenger and easily dismiss the message if we're not feeling the messenger by our preferences. Why listen to someone like that? And that's a challenge for me because I sometimes admittingly tune out if I don't enjoy how something is presented with theology. I admittingly, if it's presented a certain way, start to wall up. If I see a preacher come on TV and there are golden thrones behind him, I'm already offended. If I see a sly smile and some smooth talk, I start to build that wall right up. If I hear a cheesy Christian dialogue and a message, start to squint a little bit. My right eye starts to twitch. And oh my gosh, can I be judgmental immediately by how someone is dressed, the style of their culture, and I have so many preferences that I place upon messengers of truth. And does that keep me, does that keep me from potentially hearing something that God actually wants me to hear? Something we can pay attention to is to be careful to not miss God because of the flawed character of the messengers. And hear me, I have to say on the other side of the scale that discernment is also absolutely required. Discernment, but also leaning into potentially what God is saying, because we are all men and women. We are all men and women with our flaws and with our funny things and with our preferences, both on the, on the messenger side and the receiving side. And this leads us to what the text is actually challenging us to do. In a positive sense, we are warned, hey, don't be so offended by the messenger. And here, we are encouraged. And similarly to last week, Mary again is our example. Good job, Mary. Luke tells us how she listened to the word of God. Let's look at verse 16. So the shepherds hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, here's her response. Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. So what was Mary's response to these shepherds? She's there in this little cave with all of these sheepies and the donkeys absolutely exhausted from just giving birth after traveling across the country without a family, without support, without a doula coaching her how to breathe, without anesthesia, no birthing pool, no cold spoons. 
without a sponge bath, no eucalyptus candles, and here at the barn door. Doof, doof, doof. We're here. We had a visitation. Oh, it's some shepherds at the door, Mary. Let them in. Let them in. What do they have to say? Come on in. But in her humility, in her humility, she pondered at what she heard from the shepherds. When you look at the language of what she pondered, this language means to put something in its context, to connect. She's thinking something through. Remember, she's actually quite analytical. She thinks with her head, but then she also thinks with her heart. Similarly, if we are pondering a verse or a word in scripture, we can ponder it. We can meditate on it with our heads and our hearts. And how does, how does this verse, if we're looking through scripture, how does this verse fit into the surrounding context of the passage? How does it fit in with what I've learned about God and his nature so far? How have I seen God show up in this way? And Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. The unfolding of your words. Think like a bed that you order on Amazon. It comes in a relatively small box, and then you pop that thing out of that thick plastic, and in a couple minutes, that thing becomes a California king. That is a true Amazon miracle. <laughs> Praise God. Or think about a little sleeping bag that's just in a little pouch. You put a carabiner on your backpack, and this thing folds out to become a whole sleeping bag that's nice and cozy when you're up camping. It's real neat. Now, think about God's word. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. A verse that you think you have understanding of but as the verse unfolds, it becomes a whole living experience. When we ponder on it, it expands to be packed with revelation, packed with meaning. The more that we read, the more that we connect by the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller, who um, I absolutely adore, he passed away this year, and a lot of this is, is just inspired by him. I love him. He's talking about when he was at a conference um, years ago, he was at a conference and the speaker challenged the group of individuals that he was with to do a certain exercise. Sometimes when you go to conferences and they have you do an exercise, you're like, I paid money to do this little sheet of paper thing. All right. And so he humbled himself. Sure, let's try this thing out. And they're having a good time back there, aren't they? I don't know if we could all fit in there, but feel free to just get up and join the kids. It sounds like a good time. So the, in the middle of this conference, the woman challenges them and says, all right, here, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit for 30 minutes, and you're going to write down 30 things plus that you learned from this passage, Mark 117. Let's put that up there. This is the passage that you had to find 30 observations. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 30 plus observations. So they sat in silence. And the people began scribbling down what they were observing. After 10 minutes, Tim Keller, who is a theologian, a pastor, he's like, yep, I think I got pretty much everything from this verse that I can. And he kind of clicked his pen. He's like, oh, everyone else is still working away. <laughs> I got 20 minutes left. I could daydream or 
Maybe I'll try this. So he clicked his pen again and started challenging himself. And he started imagining what this sentence would be like if a word or two words was missing. Then he tried to paraphrase this in his own words. How would I say this if I was writing it today, in this year? What kind of modern illustrations would I use? <laughs> it's okay, just let it rip back there. And after 30 minutes, the instructor asked, okay, everyone, are you done? Now go back, I want you to circle the most life-changing thing that you observed from this. Go back and circle the most life-changing thing that you observed in this 30 minutes. She's like, now, how many of you, raise your hands, how many of you found the most life-changing thing in the first five minutes? No one. 10 minutes, nobody. 15 minutes, there's a couple hands. 20 minutes, some more hands started raising. 25 minutes, almost everyone's hands started raising. And Tim said, that was the day that my life was changed in Bible study, learning to ponder God's truth. The second key word that we learn from Luke 2.19, along with pondering, is the word treasured. She pondered and she treasured these things in her heart. The expression is one that highlights the awareness in our own hearts that spring up. To treasure means to keep something kindled, to keep something alive, to savor it. So Mary is not just understanding the truth intellectually, but she lets it settle into her heart as a living thing. And then she nurtures it, she savors it within her heart. It's bringing the theology into the garden of your life for real transformation the experience and the enjoyment of truth. Treasuring, treasuring is not so much a technique as it is an attitude of our hearts. And this is what Psalm 119.11 is talking about when it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart and the result, the, the impact creates a freedom from sin. It's not just an intellectual knowing. Tommy, you gotta be a good boy. You gotta be a good boy, Tommy. Stop doing those things. Scripture says to, to, to do this and to not do this. Scripture says to be better. You better be better. Follow his ways and obey. It's not just an intellectual knowing. Thank you for the amen choir back there. <laughs> yeah! It's letting the word of God be life in you that the grace of God saturates his word and it actually grips your heart. God, it's my joy to live in obedience. I love you. And sin begins to lose its appeal. The things of this world grow faintly dim in the light and the glory of his face. It fades away because Jesus is the one that becomes your magnificent obsession. And that's treasuring. Treasuring is asking questions about messages of truth, such as, how would my life be different if I really believed and adopted this truth into my life? How would it change my relationships? How would I change my prayer life? And how can I relate to God if I adopted this truth? To actually truly digest a message, we have to be willing to do both. We have to ponder it and we have to treasure it. If we don't engage in this way, you will hear it. You will hear it with your ears but you will not hear it with your mind and your heart. 
True transformation comes when we ponder it and we treasure the living word of God. Romans 10, 17 gives us another key along this, and it says, consequently, faith, if you're wanting faith in your life, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is not just not just a hearing with your ears. This is a hearing with your mind and your heart and believing. When the seeds are thrown your way, are you taking it and is it letting it fall upon a soft, nourishing soil? Or are you dismissing the seeds because you are hardened and you're letting it fall upon the path? Or are you letting the seeds get choked out because of your own mindsets and your own behavior and patterns? You're like, I don't want to believe this because I want to continue to live a certain way. So the life is choked out. Are you allowing the life of God to spring up and be a garden in your life? Next, we learn to make peace. Right in the middle of this passage, we hear one of the most quoted verses of all time. The King James translates it, on earth peace and goodwill towards men. It's the closing dialogue of probably 50 plus Christmas movies. Thank you, Tiny Tim, for yet another inspirational quote. But almost every other translation has chosen to render it something like this. Peace on earth for those on whom his gracious kindness rests. First, we have to see that peace, of what it tends to mean throughout scripture. Peace does not imply that you will live a trouble-free life. Peace does not mean that you will have financial prosperity. Peace means the end of enmity and warfare. And that means the end of hostility towards God. For men, the most important peace that we can ever know is to find peace with God. In the natural, our human heart wants to be king of our own lives. That's what you want in the natural. You're like, I am king of my own life. And that's what culture is telling you, to, to be empowered, to rule your own life. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. And because of this, this, this does not like the idea of God taking over that place of the throne. There is an instinctive resistance, a hostility to God's leadership and his lordship. And we think the only real way that we'll be happy, the only way I'll really be happy, is if we are the ones who take full charge of our lives. That's the only way it's going gonna, it's gonna to go. In truth, if we're actually looking at this, it's very self-centered. It's self-seeking. And it's a selfish desire to command control. And not only does it cause resistance to the divine, it also leads to conflict among men. And peace on earth is absent because peace with God is absent. What we sing during our Christmas is the declaration from Hark the Herald Angels Sing that says, God and sinners reconciled. Jesus, the perfect mediator between God and men, by becoming a man, taking our human nature, he creates a bridge over the chasm of sin and hostility, dying on our behalf, creating a union by his perfect sacrifice, making peace with God. And to really live in peace, we must let go. We must confess that we cannot save ourselves. We have to rest. You actually have to rest in the finished works of Jesus. We live yielded to the Spirit, turning from the old way of selfish thinking and behavior 
and turning towards the finished work of Jesus, resting in him and making perfect peace with God. And that's how we continue to live in perfect peace. It's not just when we receive salvation. If you wanna, if you wanna walk out a lifestyle in Jesus full of peace, it still is that letting go, that yieldedness, leaning into surrender. If peace is absent in your life, it usually has to do with some sort of lie that you're believing, a sin that I'm partnering with. I've placed something else in the God spot. That's why you don't have peace. I'm in fear about something. And surrender and yielding is the key, t- the key time and time again to begin the unraveling process of letting go and entering into shalom again. It's still, it still is turning away of the old way of living, choosing by the self-control and power of the Holy Spirit to turn back to him. He has given you the grace to do so. There's actually no more excuses because you are free in Christ. You are free from sin and death. Therefore, the excuses are gone and there is a grace and enabling power for you to live in righteousness. Dying to selfish desires, living in Christ. And and the preferences that you may have had, whatever you think is a better way, his way is so much better. In Matthew 5, Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. And he famously preaches, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are those who have made peace with God, who admit their flaws, their weaknesses before him. They have learned to surrender their pride. They have learned to love others and God without needing to control every situation. That's a challenge, isn't it? You have learned as a peacemaker that you don't have to control every situation. Peacemakers learn the power of reconciliation. They are those who are called to be forerunners, pioneers of forgiveness between others. Did you you know that you are called to be a pioneer of forgiveness between others? Even in your family, a lot of you are going home. Some of you are like, I don't want to be a pioneer of forgiveness in my family. (laughs) Well, preacher just said you are. So ponder these things in your heart. Treasure them before the Lord, because you are a pioneer of forgiveness between your friends and family this holiday season. It's between your family, people groups, races, classes, neighbors. Christmas, then, is, is highlighting that through Jesus come to earth, peace with God is available to you. And if peace with God has been made, If that's been made, that same supernatural peace and grace can be extended in every relationship and every area of influence that God has for you. And the more the world accepts the gospel, the more this world gets it, receives it, owns it, believes it, lives it, the better and more healed the world will be. Christmas, then, means an incredible washing a washing of the increase of peace between God and men throughout the world. Next, fear not. Another powerful observation we see from the shepherds is the proclamation that the angels made appearing to them. The old King James proclamation is, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Some of you are like, what are good tidings? 
All I hear is that at Christmas. Here's a third response for us to the Christmas message. If we accept good tidings, this is supposed to end fear. If good tidings end fear, let's pass out some good tidings. <laughs> Sounds great. All the way through scripture till Genesis 3, all the way flipping back through your pages, when men encountered the powerful presence of God, they were terrified. His holiness, his power. Think about Moses up on Mount Sinai. The people were freaked out when Moses came back down and his own face was shining. Think about characters like Joshua flat on his face before the Lord. Everyone is terrified when God shows himself. It's his power, his holiness, face down. Do not strike me dead, please, my God. But in the Garden of Eden, they walk with God person to person in perfect love. There's a union. If that is how we're actually designed, and we were designed for that, for perfect relationship with this awesome God, fear would be absent. You wouldn't have to fear him or honestly anything that comes at you. Why would there be no fear? Well, we, we fear rejection and we fear failure. But if God's perfect love, his perfect love and his presence completely overtake you, you're not gonna care what other people think about you. you the more that we experience God's love in your life, the less you care about what other people think about you. We are in a city riddled with caring what other people think about us. Let's get in the love of God and get free of that. You will not fear future circumstances. None of you are, are fearing any future circumstances, I know, so this isn't for you. Where you're going to live, how finances are going to come, come in, shape up, who your future spouse will be. No fears out there. <laughs> Some of you are going, my God, my God, my God, I have a fear. No, oh, man, you're not going to fear because when this is established, when perfect love comes in, trust will be so secure. It will be so established. And the freedom of that love, you're going to be breezy. <laughs> You're definitely not going to be afraid of death. You're not going to be afraid of death because you are so secure. Like, this is just a passage into eternity. And I'm going to be with him face to face. Like, Paul's all about, like, I'm staying down here for your sake. Like, I'm looking forward to that. Isn't that freeing? We don't have to fear death. In fact, we need to be more heavenly minded, I'm convinced. Like, we need to be thinking more about, like, when we meet God face to face. Like, what is he going to say about my life? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he, is he going to be like, why did you spend all your time on that? <laughs> it's like, a lot of wasted years. I don't know, we're going there. Turn it back, Tommy. So in Genesis 3, we as humans mistakenly, we threw off God's rule over our lives. It broke relationship with God, and immediately there was a fear. Immediately there was insecurity that overcame them. And the lie of the serpent was this. You don't need to be in charge of your own lives. 
You don't let anyone else tell you what to do, including God, and then you'll be happy. You're going to really miss out what's best for you if you don't take control over your own life. And that is still what's being preached. It's still what's being preached. And the lie creates fear of trusting God deep within the hearts of men. And this lie really is a lie. You can never get control of your own life in this world. You're always going to be in some sort of grade of fear because you're at the mercy of humans and the forces that you cannot predict. So when the shepherds, when the shepherds were confronted with the holiness of heaven, it, it's, it's, it's what we all face in our humanity. God's glory, his presence, it amplifies our fearfulness because without Christ, we are alienated from God. But that's where the good news comes in. That's that glad tidings, the good news. Here it is. You won't have to be afraid anymore if you look at what I'm showing you. You want some glad tidings? You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm showing you something. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's basically like, hey, stop and look at what I'm about to show you. Fear can and will be dispelled. Here it is. Behold. Behold. Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings. Newer translations sometimes skip behold. But if you break down the language, it's very similar to this. Do not be fearing. Be perceiving. For I am telling you the gospel. Here it is. Do not be fearing. The fear needs to end. It will end if you are perceiving. Perceiving what? I am telling you the gospel. Here's the principle for us. If we behold, you won't be afraid. If we perceive the gospel, the dominion of darkness that has overtaken your life will flee under the light of the beholding of the good news of the kingdom of God. To behold, it means to gaze at, to grasp, to relish, to internalize, and to rejoice in. And what are we beholding? The fact that a Savior has been born. That's what we're beholding. A Savior has been born. You want to be free from all the darkness in your life? You want to be free from the pains and the heaviness? You want to be free from the self-effort and the cycles of empty living? Your Savior's here. And you can rest in Him. And the greatest fear that you have, possibly of surrendering control, yes, you can give Him that too. Because He can be trusted and you can rest in Him. And so here we are, we find ourselves again mid-December, it's Christmas, and it raises the question for all of us, can't you trust a God who surrendered everything for you? He lowered himself to become a man, fully God, fully man, to become a little baby boy. He gave up his majesty to become an ordinary carpenter's son. He laid down his life freely unto death on a cross for you to know to really know, to experience his love, his peace, his righteousness, and to experience a complete transformation called new life in him. He did that all for you. The eternal one wants eternal life with you. And he did make a way. Christmas tells us of that way. And so the angels are still declaring over your life, you want freedom from fear, you want freedom from darkness, 
behold, look at the message of Christmas. Look at what Jesus did in his radical love. And the amount of revelation that we have as we behold the Son of God here at Christmas, the amount of revelation that comes our way as we soften our hearts and hold it before him and let it be pondered in our heads and our hearts, treasuring it before the Lord, that will bring a direct result into the flooding, the flooding, the cascading of perfect peace and loving light into our hearts as we behold, as we treasure, and as we ponder this glorious truth. Truth.